here. Hallelujah. It's a bittersweet night for me as well. We, we, uh, I'll be honest with you. Some places you go, you're excited to go and you're excited to leave. I'm just being honest. But other places you feel like a part of you is kind of hurting when you leave. And I just want this church to know how much we love you. We love this French family. We love this church. We love being a part of what God is doing here in this city, in this region. And it's such a, such a wonderful honor. We, we look forward to this revival so much and being with this church so much. And uh, my wife feels the exact same way. I, I would love to, for this to be the end of this nonsense. Okay? Everybody looks at me as though I'm the one responsible for continuously having children. My wife wants a colony of children. So please pray against that spirit if you would. I would love for her to be with me now, but she she ain't done, man. She's the only person I ever heard right after she had the first one. She's like, let's have another one. Jesus, help us. So please pray for her. I've got several scares today. I give honor to Pastor Harvey. He prays God. He opened his pulpit to me today and I felt such a powerful presence of the Lord at his church. But right before I got up to speak, my phone went off and I'm thinking, oh God, here it is. It has begun. And I look down and my wife is texting me. I'm thinking she's having contractions. We're going to, I'm out of here. Somebody else is going to take over the service. I look down and she's asking me, what color of couch do I prefer? And I text back, I said, babe, you are not allowed to do that. It's an illegal text. Illegal. And, and then this afternoon as I was getting ready, I was, I heard the phone go off again and it was some other funny thing she had to say. So I rebuked her sternly. I said, woman, what have I to do with thee? And she told me exactly what I have to do with her. So praise God. But it's a delight to be here. I want to share with you tonight. I would say what God has put inside of me, and I want to give you a secret that the Lord gave me when I was a young man, and I hope that it will impact this church. Thank you so much for that basket, Sister Rachel, and whoever else is responsible. She said, I'm not allowed to touch it. It's for my wife. I said, that's exactly how it is at all times. I'm never allowed to touch any basket. When we go into a hotel room, it's off limits. I'm not allowed to open it, look at it, until she has sorted what she wants and what I'm allowed to have. So I'm used to it. I'm totally used to it. Praise God. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22. I was so blessed to be with Brother Ryan and Brother Nathan today. They came with me. and I just love these guys so much. I truly do. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. And to go before him unto the other side. While he sent the multitudes away verse 24 but the ship was now in the midst of the sea tossed with waves for the wind was contrary and in the fourth watch of the night 
Jesus went unto them. This is from three to six in the morning. Walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, everybody say he stepped out of the boat. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Luke chapter 1, I'm going to read three more passages of Scripture. Luke chapter 1 and verse 28. The Bible tells us that God chose a little girl named Mary. And when he was making his will known to her, in verse 28, and the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. Everybody say highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Verse 30, after Mary's exclamation of fear, verse 30, and the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor. Everybody say, she found favor. Thou hast found favor with God. One more passage of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse number 8. The Apostle Paul tells us, for by grace, everybody say grace, are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. I want to talk to you for a few minutes tonight on this topic. I want to step out of the boat. I want to step out of the boat. Would you put your Bibles down? Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Let's ask him to do what he wants to do. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we exalt you. We adore you. You are high and lifted up in this place. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that every eye would be open to see and every ear to hear what thus saith the Lord. I rebuke all distraction and error of Satan in the name of Jesus Christ. Let truth prevail over every lie. Let light prevail over darkness. Let possibility prevail over inhibition. I pray that the word of God would have free course and have the impact upon us that you want it to have. I bind every spirit that is contrary. I loose the angels of the Lord into this place tonight. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. And everybody said in Jesus' name, would you clap your hands one more time to the Lord? And let's give him some praise with all of our might. If you got any strength left, would you lift your voice? And just shout to the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Woo. Hallelujah. Turn to your neighbor as you're seated and say, it's time to get out of the boat.
I have heard grace explained to me in a way that made it very comprehensible. Grace is an often mentioned concept among us. Truthfully, no matter what denomination you are a part of, grace seems to be a central theme in our world today. It was certainly a central theme in the Bible. And I've heard it said that grace, in a simple way to phrase it, is the unmerited favor of God. And I can understand what is meant here when it says unmerited. It means that we didn't do anything to merit the favor of God. God's grace is given to us, but somebody else merited the favor of God. Jesus Christ paid the price for our favor from God. And when you look at the word grace, it comes from a Greek word. I'm probably mispronouncing this. You can help me later. Pastor French, but carice, and it means a graciousness of manner or act, figurative or spiritual, the divine influence that is upon the heart reflected in the life, something that comes from God and cannot be gained or earned. It is a gift from God. Another word that the Bible uses that comes from this Greek word is favor. Many times they are interchangeable. When the Bible says grace, it could say favor. When the Bible says favor, it could say grace. They come from the same Greek word. But I think that the translators understood that something else was happening when they mentioned grace versus favor. And the most dramatic difference that I can find in the New Testament is that grace is given, but favor must be found. Grace is given, but favor must be found. There is a difference between grace and favor. Paul said grace is the gift of God. It is of God. You cannot get it by working for it. It doesn't matter how many $5 bills you give out to the homeless on the side of the street. It doesn't matter how many people you encourage, it doesn't matter what kind of a good person you think you are, you cannot earn the grace of God. It is unconditional. It is available to anybody who needs it, who wants it. The people that have received the Holy Ghost in this revival received grace from God. They didn't really have to agonize for it. They didn't have to intercede for it. All you have to do is make yourself available for it. It's a constantly flowing river from God for anybody who will. And when you receive the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues, that is grace. When you are baptized in Jesus' name and your sins are washed away, that is grace from God. When you are experiencing salvation, the born-again experience, it is grace from God. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter how good looking or how ugly you think you are, how much money or little money you have. It does not matter. You could have murdered somebody yesterday and walk up to the altar tonight and say, God, I need you and grace would be available to you now. 
But favor must be found. It must be found. The Bible says Moses found favor. David found favor. Esther found favor. Mary, the mother of Jesus, had to find favor. We do not see, the Bible does not reveal to us how she found favor. It does not reveal to us her efforts in seeking the favor of God, but somehow in all of the young ladies and all of Judea, God looked at this young teenage girl and said, that is the one that's going to be the mother of the Messiah. It wasn't because her hair was prettier than the other girls. It wasn't that she had a prettier complexion. It wasn't that she was more talented. There was something she was doing that was getting God's attention. And when Gabriel came to her, he said, Fear not, Mary. Blessed art thou among women. Hail. I give you a greeting of honor and glory. You are blessed among women. Thou art highly favored. Fear not, Mary. Thou hast found favor with God to find something means you were looking for it I want to tell you something tonight revival is not grace my word is quiet revival is favor The anointing of the Holy Ghost is not grace. The demonstration of the power of the Holy Ghost through a life is not grace. It's favor. If revival was grace, everybody would be having it. Every church, every Pentecostal church, every apostolic church, everybody would be having growth. Everybody would be seeing victory after victory. But revival is not grace. Revival is favor. Let me tell you the difference between grace and favor. Grace is based upon his love for us. But favor is based upon our love for him. Grace is given because of his sacrifice, but favor is given because of our sacrifice. His grace is given to us because of his love, but his favor is given because of his preference. You look at the disciples and there were different circles of intimacy, different circles of influence around Jesus. You have the untold number of crowds. You had uh, the 70 that went out. You had the 12, and then you had the three, and then you had the one. These constantly ever-tightening circles. And when Jesus was with the 12, two times the Bible pointed out that he called Peter, James, and John out from the 12. One particular instance was that he wanted to go up a mountain, and he said, okay, the rest of you guys, y'all stay down here, but Peter, James, and John, y'all come with me. We're going up the mountain, and they followed him up the mountain. What we do not see is a reaction from the other nine apostles.
There was no reaction that said, say what? You're going up the mountain and you're taking it. Why can I come? Why are you taking them and you didn't invite me? That's what I would have said. But there was no reaction from the nine. Another place the Bible says that Jesus went into the house where he was going to heal Jairus' daughter. And he said, you nine stay outside, but Peter, James, and John, y'all come inside. And the door was shut. Let me tell you something. I did not see a reaction where anybody else was knocking on the door. Matthew saying, hey, can, can, I, can, I, can I see what you're doing in there? Let me tell you what I would have done. I would have said, I want to see his face when he speaks the word of life to a dead person. I want to see the look in his eyes. I want to see how he holds his hand. I want to see how he confronts death face to face and stares it down and life is breathing. I am not going to miss it for the world. You're going up the mountain. Let me tell you something. I'm going to be following because you're going to see a version of Jesus, Peter, James, and John that nobody else got to see in the entire New Testament. They saw him transfigured. His raiment became white as snow. His face began to shine in the glory of the Lord. Uh, nobody else got to see that in the New Testament. He preferred Peter, James, and John. We don't like to talk about that. God can prefer one over another. Have you ever noticed in the church service? Hallelujah. I like it. Somebody else ought to just shout hallelujah spontaneously. Jesus said, except you come as a little child. I forgot what I was saying. Thank you. Have you ever noticed in a church service that somebody here could get plastered in the Holy Ghost? Power of God's all over them, shouting, juking, jiving, speaking in tongues. A miracle happens. And the person next to them is dead as a doornail, twice plucked up by the roots like a lump on a log. How can one person be receiving the greatest blessing of their life and the other one be cold as ice? Jesus preferred one over the other. Am I okay? Biblically? Theologically? God prefers people over others. Now, the Bible teaches us that God is not a respecter of persons. He could care less about your social status. He could care less about your last name, about the level of money in your bank account. Doesn't matter if you have a last name of some royalty or some rich person in America. Your last name may be Gates. Or whatever. He could care less. He will treat you just like everybody else. He's not a respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of passion. He's not a respecter of persons, but he's a respecter of faith. He's a respecter of boldness. He's a respecter of hunger. You see, when you get the Holy Ghost, 
You have just experienced the power of the grace equation. The grace equation says, go up there and lift your hands and say, Jesus, I need you. And you're going to get everything you need from God. You don't have to pray all night. You don't have to tarry for the Holy Ghost. You don't have to tarry for, for being baptized. All you got to do is say, hey, I want to be baptized in Jesus' name. And if you're ready and if you're truly repentant, there's no waiting involved. Just get up there, get the robe on, and get baptized in Jesus' name. That is the grace equation. But some saints, after they have experienced the power of the grace equation, they try to live in the grace equation. And a year later, they're still just coming up to the altar for only five minutes and saying, God, I need you. And they're expecting everything they need to come down on them. You are no longer operating in the grace equation. You are trying to operate in the favor equation. And if you want the favor of God, it may take more than five minutes. It may take five hours of prayer. It may take five days of fasting it may take all night long seeking the lord god i need you god i want revival god i will not back down god give us a move of god like we've never had before favor must be found it's only for the hungry it's only for the bold. It's only for the passionate. It's only for the thirsty. It's only for the aggressive. They're the only ones who get it. Have you ever noticed the Bible does not give us guidelines for how much we should pray? We've talked about the hour of prayer for years. I've heard hour of prayer. I've heard preachers teach about praying an hour. You need to pray an hour a day. I'm all about it. I want to pray at least an hour a day. But the Bible does not teach us that you must pray 60 minutes a day for a certain level of salvation, anointing, walking in the Spirit. It does not teach it. It talks about the hour of prayer, but it was referring to the Jewish hour of prayer that occurred three times a day. I believe it was 9, 12, and 3, and that was according to the Old Testament sacrifices. The Bible says several times that Peter went up to the temple at the hour of prayer. He was on the rooftop at the hour of prayer, but it didn't say he prayed for an hour. We don't ever get to see how long Jesus prayed. Several times it says he prayed all night long on the mountain. As a matter of fact, when the disciples were in the midst of the sea about to die, the Bible says he was on the mountainside watching them. You want to talk about something weird? He's up there, and I'm about to drown down here. He's up there. He's just praying, watching me die. We don't get to know how long he prayed. We do know that the Bible says he rose up a great while before day. It doesn't ever tell you how long to fast. If you fast three days, you're going to have this level. If you fast seven days, you're going to have this level. If you fast 40 days, you're going to have this level. Never, never tells you that. What we do have is examples of people and the level that they fasted at. We have 
Esther fasting for three days and nights without food or water. You have Daniel going on the 10-day fast and abstaining partially from food. And then we have him going 21 days and Gabriel coming to him and revealing to him what will happen to the Jewish people. And we have Moses fasting 40 days twice. Going up into the mountain, you have Elijah fasting 40 days. Jesus fasted 40 days. Paul went on fast. You have all these different examples of fasts, but the Bible never says if you fast one day a week or three days a week or seven days a month, it never tells you what level you're going to have. Why doesn't he give us minimum guidelines? I'll tell you why. Because the level that you achieve in God has nothing to do with his minimum requirements. The level of your prayer life and the level of your fasting life life and the level of your study of the Bible has nothing to do with his minimum requirements. It has everything to do with your hunger. How much of God do you want? How much prayer do you want? How much do you want to fast? You can go as far as you want to go. There was a lady in my church. Is this mine? There was a lady in my church. Her name was Kathy Sheffield. <coughs> Kathy Sheffield got a hold of me when I was 13 years old. I got the Holy Ghost at 13. And she saw something in me before I saw it in myself. <clears throat> and she told me her story. Kathy Sheffield received the Holy Ghost, I believe at 16 years old. And her story is a little bit different than most people's conversion stories. She came from a family of witches. Her mother was a witch. Her sisters were witches. Everybody in her extended family was just a big witch clan. Her grandfather, just like we have superintendents in the UPC, her grandfather was like a superintendent warlock over this particular region. <clears throat> so when she went to Souls Harbor and got the Holy Ghost, got baptized, she got a call from her grandfather and said, I want you to come to my office tomorrow. And these people were the real deal. They were not the fakes. They were definitely connected to the spirit realm. Kathy Sheffield told me one time that she was praying against this network of witches. And she took an anointed hanky to her sister's house and hid it in a wall. And her sister did not know she did this, but she found out a few days later her sister completely demolished that house looking for that anointed hanky. And finally, when she found it, after her house was completely destroyed, she went to Kathy and said, don't you ever do this again. They were the real deal. So she went to her grandfather's office and sat in front of him, and he said, did you go to that church? Yes, I did. I went to that church. Did you get the Holy Ghost? Yes, sir, I got the Holy Ghost. Did you get baptized in Jesus' name? 
Yes, sir, I got baptized in Jesus' name. He said, Kathy, he said, we've always known that you would be the greatest among us. You would be the most powerful in our family. He said, but I will never talk to you again after today. Our relationship is over. And he said, I want to tell you something. He said, you have more power in your pinky than this entire family of witches combined. He said, but the problem with you Pentecostals is you don't know how to use your power. You never learn how to use your power. These witches fast and pray and fast and pray and seek and pray and fast so that they can understand the spirit realm from the dark perspective that they are bound by. And Pentecostals with God Almighty living inside of their body don't even have a clue of what they could be doing for the kingdom of God because they're living in the grace equation instead of seeking him that you may find him. You keep waiting on him to come to you. I'm preaching tonight to somebody who's ready to seek the Lord while he may be found. God wants to reveal to you something you've never seen in him before. She got a hold of me. She began to tell me about angels coming to her home. Would you lift your hands right now? Something's happening in the spirit. I don't know about you, but I'm so sick of living at the level that I have been living. I want to go deeper in God. If there's more to be found, God, let me find it. If there's more to be attained, God, let me attain it. She began to tell me of the angels that would come to her home and speak to her and minister to her. This is the type of lady, Sister Lucas, she sits in the corner of the church and the front row and when the Holy Ghost comes upon her, is over. When she lifts her hands and begins to cry out to Jesus, just like what just happened a moment ago, waves just go across the whole church. Did y'all feel that when that was happening right there? Just waves. But it'll just wash over you if you're not hungry. It'll just go right past you. And she told me, she said, Joey, she said, the spirit of God is like the ocean. It's like a deep, great 
endless ocean. And some people, they look at the ocean and they say, isn't that beautiful? But they never experience the ocean. They never, they never get in the ocean. Other people are content to go to the edge of the water and tinkle their toes. And, ooh, isn't that wonderful? That water feels so good. But they back off. And other people are a little bit more bold and hungry. And they go to their knee deep in water and they feel the current pulling them in and out and the ebb and flow of that that flow that's out there and but but their feet are planted they're not going to go anywhere and some people just want to experience everything they can in that ocean and they go out to their neck and they feel the water lifting them and dropping them and but their feet are always touching the ground and then there are some people they go out and they never come back again they're consumed by it. They're taken over by it. A current catches them and they're caught away, never to be seen again, never to experience the shoreline again. And I want to tell you something. It got a hold of me what she was saying. I don't I thank God for the people that spoke into my life when I was a young man because something came upon me. I said, God, I want to go as far in you as humanly possible. Let me go as deep in God as I can possibly go. I'm hungry. And a spirit of prayer came upon me as a teenager. And I knew at 15 years old, I knew if I prayed an hour a day, I was going to be just like Lee Stone King. I knew it. Bald and everything. And so I went to the prayer room. My precious mother would drop me off at the church, and I would go into the prayer room and pray for an hour. And it was nice, but Jesus didn't show up in the flesh. I didn't see any angels, didn't have any visions, no spectacular things. And after a few weeks, I said to the Lord, I said, God, I'm hungry for more. Can you please give me more? I wanna, I'm sick of hearing other people's Jesus stories. I'm sick of living off of other people's relationship with God. I want my own visions. I want my own visitations. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And the Lord spoke something to me so profound. It's so deep. It's going to floor you, okay? I hope you're ready for this deep, deep revelation. You may need to hold on to the pew. He said to me, can you pray five more minutes? That would mean an hour and five minutes a day, Lord. I think I can do it. I'll just take that first five minutes and tack it on to the end. I, if I have to repeat myself, no problem. And so for a few weeks, I prayed an hour and five minutes a day. But I'll be honest with you, after a few weeks, I still wasn't having the kind of connection and the anointing and the flow that I was seeking for. And I was crying out to God in another prayer meeting. And he said, Joey, he said, you want more? I said, yes, I want more. Can you pray five more minutes? That would be an hour and 10 minutes a day, Lord. Now, we're getting into like super spiritual territory, right? Hour and 10 minutes a day. That's walking on water territory right there. And it was so pathetic. My prayers were so pathetic. I think I probably said hallelujah about 400 times. You know, when you're just repeating yourself, praise God, hallelujah, 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 thank the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. And, and after a few weeks, same scenario. I said, God, I'm hungry, I'm desperate for more. And he said, can you add five more minutes? 
hour and 15 minutes a day, hour and 20 minutes a day, hour and 25 minutes a day. Something started happening in my spirit. It was subtle. It wasn't profound. It wasn't dramatic. Just something gradually began to happen in my spirit. When I said Jesus, it sounded different than when I was praying an hour. It was different. The word of God was coming alive to me. I can remember at 15 years old for the first, I was raised in this. I was raised in it. But at 15 years old, I can remember seeing Jesus' name baptism for the first time. I can remember taking my Bible to restaurants after church and I was considered the geek, I guess, of the youth group. I don't know, but I would I couldn't really connect to anybody. I was a weirdo as a young person, and so I took my Bible and I would read while I was at the restaurant. And I would, I would tell people it's right there. The only way they were baptized was in Jesus' name. And the Lord kept saying, Can you pray five more minutes? Now it's an hour and a half and an hour and thirty-five minutes, hour and forty-five minutes. And now my prayer, there's some kind of flow. Now, now when I go to pray, it's like something's there waiting for me in that prayer room. I can remember this electrical current, this river of life flowing, and I, I couldn't wait to get off of work. I, I hung seamless aluminum gutters, and I can remember waiting all day long to get to that church. Uh, and when 5 o'clock rolled around, I would start crying because I knew I was going to run home uh, and take a shower and get to that church as quickly as I can. And it took me to two hours and two and a half hours and three hours and four hours and five hours and sometimes ten hours. And I, I can remember I would look outside of those doors in that church and I saw all my friends playing basketball I was the only one inside of that building and I didn't feel bad for me I felt bad for them I was thinking my God if they could only experience the glory that's inside of this building right now this flow got up underneath me and began to lift me and lift me and lift me. Jesus would meet me there. I can remember putting on some old apostolic choir music. Turning that thing on. I had access to the sound system. I had a key to the church. They just trusted me. Thank God. I would turn on that sound system and blare that thing out, man. I was the only one in there and I was just dancing. The blood still works. Was anybody around me? No. Was there any other saints of God saying, come on, pray a little while. Can't you praise them a little bit? Ain't nobody there but me and Jesus. The blood still works. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The blood. Do you know there's a place you can go in God where people don't have to encourage you all the time to praise him? Did y'all hear what I just said? There's a place you can get in the Holy Ghost uh, where nobody has to say clap your hands. Uh, nobody has to say lift your voice. Uh, nobody has to say why don't you praise him a little bit more. Something just has a hold of you. Something just has a hold of you. Something just has a hold of you. Let me tell you a little secret. I'm leaving, so I'm a little bold. I know who prays and who doesn't pray in the church. I know. I can just look in your eyes and know. I can tell by your response to the preaching. I can tell by your response to the anointing. I can tell by your response 
to your pastor, to the singers. I can tell by your response when people are getting baptized. I can tell by your response when people are receiving the Holy Ghost. I can tell whether or not you have been in the presence of God. Because if you have been in his presence, you can't stand still while that's happening. You can't be quiet while that's happening, while the music is going. You can't stay sitting there just nodding your head. You have lost your connection. It's time to get that connection back. It's time to get that flow back. It's time to find that favor from God. There is a river, there is a river of living water that the Lord would pour through you and into you and over you. You can have it if you want it. I remember as a young man praying all night long. I was so tired. Three and four o'clock in the morning, I was at the church, and I couldn't stay in the building, so I went outside. I was walking. I was so tired. I felt like I was falling asleep in between steps. I was hungry. God, give me your anointing. God, give me your spirit. God, help me to know you. If you can be known, help me to know you. I can remember going to the church and all of a sudden the prayer power cut off. It's like God flipped a switch, nothing. And Stone King has had a powerful impact on my life. He's kind of like a pop to me. We talk a lot. But he told me a story of one time in his house. He couldn't pray any other way. Nothing was working. And so he went into his bedroom, or into his living room, rather. In his living room, there's a big old sheepskin rug. It's like four inches thick. You can just get lost in that thing. And he, put, he has a big old recliner sitting in front of that rug in front of the fireplace. And he said he sat down in front of that recliner and said, Jesus, I want to talk to you like you are sitting right in front of me. And he said the power of God came into his home in such a way, it was so powerful. He said he became very, very scared. The glory was so intense, he thought that he could not handle that level of glory. And that impacted me, and so I went into the prayer room, and we had this old, dirty I don't know why it's still there. That chair has been there longer than Noah's Ark. And everybody sits in it. There is stains from a multitude of snotty noses. There are stains from God knows what all over that chair. But it's a wonderful prayer chair. It's just got anointing on. I don't know. If you go sit in that chair, you just start speaking in tongues. So I turned the chair around. Normally it's facing into that corner. I turned the chair around and nobody else is in there. And I, I had tried praying. My normal prayer didn't work. And I just sat down in front of that chair and I said, Jesus, I'm doing this because he said it worked. And so I just want to try it, okay? But I'm going to pray to you. I'm going to talk to you like you're sitting in this chair. And for about 15 minutes, I was talking to a chair. Tried to picture where his eyes would be if he was actually sitting there. And 
it's kind of tough because you're forcing your faith into a new channel. You're making yourself focus on him as if he was there in the flesh. <clears throat> and for 15 minutes, it was a struggle. But something all of the sudden came upon my mind and my spirit. It was like a veil just parted. And I knew he was there. All of the sudden, it dawned upon me. He's actually sitting in this chair right now. I'm telling you, I fell down. I've put my head on the floor and I begin to groan and weep in the Holy Ghost. And I found his feet and I put my face in his feet and I saw his scars. And I begin to kiss those nail scarred feet and scream out, thank you for saving me. I looked up into his eyes and I saw his hands and I talked to him for three hours. It seemed like it went by in about three minutes because he was actually sitting there. I began to ask God all of these questions that I would always want to ask him. What would you ask him if you could see him? And it was just you and him sitting there. And he answered me. And for three days after that, I went to a conference for three days. I'm telling you, it was like every step I was walking, I was walking on clouds. I can't explain it to you. I sat on the very front row and the music was not even anywhere close to the level of this music. But I mean, I was dancing and shouting. The preacher, I don't even know if he was that good. I thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever heard in my life. That's what happens when you get a hold of him and he has a hold of you. It changes everything. Nobody has to stir you. You're already stirred. Nobody has to jumpstart you. You're already started. Nobody's got to wake you up. You're already awake. And when God was increasing that prayer life, he was expanding the capacity of my spirit to handle the level of glory that I was seeking after. God wants to dump it on you. He wants to dump it all over you. He wants to drench you in his glory. He wants to soak you. He wants to drown you in it. But we can't handle it. My brother's a marathon runner. He can just go out and run 30 miles or whatever it is, 26 point whatever, or eight. Obviously, I'm not a marathon runner. But you don't just go run a marathon on a whim. You will die. You've got to prepare your body. You've got to start off at a mile and then go to eventually to two miles and three miles and five miles and eight miles and so on and so forth. And, and even then, you can't just always run marathons. You've got to step back and recover. And this is what happens in the spirit. We say, God, I want your glory. I want your presence. And God says, I want to give you my presence. But you are not in a state of spiritual depth that you can handle what you are seeking for. You've got to increase the capacity of your spirit You've got to grow that prayer life a little bit more. Grow that worship a little bit more. Grow that level of praise a little bit more. And God will pour a little bit more on you. God will keep pouring a little bit more on you. And more on you and more on you and more on you. Am I talking to anybody right now who's hungry? I'm trying not to look at the people with dead eyes right now. Is there anybody hungry for something you've never had in God? Is there anybody thirsty for something you've never had in God before? Lift your hands and let your voice out if you want favor. 
If you want favor, let your voice out. Let your voice out. Let your voice out. Atala hara atala shaka. Ikadala karaka dala karatala karaka dala karaka dala baraba shaka dala bahat. Idala baraba dala baraba shaka dala baraka Be seated. I remember one particular afternoon. I went to the church about five o'clock, and I was looking for a place to pray in our church. But you have to be very creative because people are there doing something at all times. And the only place that was available was the nursery. This was before I had two sewage-producing children. I'm one of the guys that, to change a diaper, I have to have a hazmat suit on, gas mask. Are there any other guys in the house like that? Bunch of liars and hypocrites. You don't even we can't have a revival here. I just gag. I just constantly gag. If I smell it, I gag. My wife is so gracious to me. I do other things to make up for not changing. Now, I've changed my fair share of poopy diapers, but I don't like it. And at this point, I had never been more than three feet close to a poopy diaper. I was single, and I walked into the nursery in a stench from the pit came into my face I went over to the trash. There were poopy diapers coming out like popcorn out of a bin. They were on the floor. They were filled up in that trash can. Whose ever ministry it was to take the poopy diaper trash out had failed God. Okay? And, but it was the only place I could pray, so I just held my breath. I put the stuff in the bag, and I took it out. Somehow, it was in the walls. It was in the carpet. It was horrific. And I began to pray, and I could not get a flow at all. I mean, five minutes felt like five hours. Because every time I went to say hallelujah, I had to inhale and it was like a green cloud was there. And it was so bad for two hours, Jesus did not even show up. I'm telling you the truth. Couldn't find him anywhere. I was so defeated at the end of that prayer meeting. I was so frustrated and broken at the end of that prayer meeting. I literally told the Lord, I said, God, I have done my very best. I'm going home and I'm going to study because this obviously hasn't worked. And as I was walking out of the nursery door, I had my hand on that door. God spoke to me. And he said, I want you to go outside onto the playground and study instead of going home. And I, I didn't really know his voice at that point, but I knew that that was not my thought. And I didn't think the devil would tell me to do that. 
And something inside of me said, if I don't do it, I might miss something special. And I had always gone out there when the sun was setting. I would sit out there on the slides and on the swings. I was considered a freak. But I would go out there with Jesus and just love on him, and he would love on me. So I went home. I got my study stuff, and I went back to the church. The sun was setting. The gymnasium was full of basketball players. I could hear people yelling and screaming and cheering and all kinds of stuff. All our guys played basketball on Monday nights. Went out to the chair as the sun was setting and opened up my laptop and began to study. And all of a sudden, the doors to the gymnasium burst open. Pow! And I heard a man screaming at the top of his lungs. And I jerked my head and I saw him running towards me. And he had his baby in his arms. And his baby was covered in blood. They had removed his shirt. He was a little toddler. I think he was about one and a half years old. And he was covered in blood. And as he got closer, I saw blood just pouring out of his ear, just pouring out, out of his nose, out of his mouth. He was covered in blood. And the father was screaming, he's not breathing. He's not breathing. He's not breathing. And what had happened to him was, is he had, his dad was there playing basketball. And we've got some big old boys in our church. And... The toddler ran out onto the floor, and they were running backwards and did not see him. And they tripped over him and smashed his head into that concrete. And you could literally see his side of his skull smashed in, right where his ear was. It looked like his ear had caved in a little bit. And they had tried to resuscitate him. They had tried to revive him. I don't know what level of dead he was, but he was unrevivable. And... He was screaming as he ran towards me, and so I went to the, I was right next to the door of the church. I opened the door of the church, and this father, before he called 911, laid his baby on the altar, covered in blood. It made a big old blood stain on that altar that lasted for a few years. Anytime the devil would talk about how there was no power, I would always go to that blood spot and remind him. But... When he laid the baby on the altar, it hit me like lightning. God set me up. If I hadn't been in that stinky prayer room, and I hadn't have listened to the voice of the Lord, and I had just gone home, somebody else would be standing here right now. And the gift of faith came upon me. And the authority of God came upon me like I had never felt in my life to that point. And that father picked up that boy and held him up to me and said, please pray for my son. He was dead. And I knew through the gift of faith what was about to happen. I don't know how to explain that. I just, I absolutely knew exactly what was about to happen. I knew God was about to heal this baby. And I said, in the name of Jesus, I call upon the working of miracles and I command this baby to come back to life now in Jesus' name. And instantly, that baby came back to life in Jesus' name. Instantly, instantly came back to life.
He still wasn't acting right. He was acting a little bit loopy and dizzy, and so we took him to the hospital. Half the church went to the hospital. We filled that emergency room. They took him back, and the doctor came back with a very critical report. His brain is swelling. The membrane, whatever that membrane is around his brain, is filled with fluid, and the pressure is causing his life to be threatened. He is in some serious trouble. We're trying to relieve this pressure to stabilize his life. And we, I remember walking up and down that emergency hall. People, The saints of God were praying. We were just praying for this little boy. I don't know how long it was, but a few minutes later, the doctor came back and said, everything's stable. The swelling is gone. His, his vital signs are, are completely normal. He said, but, he said, on the x-rays or the MRIs, whatever they were using, he said, it shows bleeding that has settled in the region of his brain that controls language. He said he's going to be, there's going to be some serious speech impairment because that's going to mess with his ability to function in language. And he went back. They were going to take him to a ICU or whatever. A few minutes later, the doctor came back out and he said, I don't know what to tell you, but something was wrong with the equipment. This little boy is perfectly okay. And they sent him home with a Band-Aid on his ear. What happened? God set me up. He could have picked anybody to pray that prayer. He could have picked any young person. He could have picked Bishop Varnum. He could have picked Pastor Jason. He could have picked somebody passing through. He could have just sent an angel. But it's little Joey Campatelli. This was before I was preaching. This was before anybody knew my name. But Jesus knew my name because I was spending hours in the prayer room seeking his face. And when you find favor, he will set you up for miracles. He will set you up for demonstration. He will set you up for power to flow through your life. But you can't just live in the dimension of grace. You've got to seek after it and say, God, where are my visions? You said young men shall see visions. Where are my dreams? Where's that anointing you promised the book of Acts church? Where's that favor I wanted, God? Kila Bahayala. Does anybody want it? Why don't you let your voice out and go after it for a moment? God, give me favor. God, give me that hunger. God, give me that passion. I want it, Lord. Shela bahatata. Hila bahatata bahashatata bahata. You can be seated. Just continue as you're seated. Just lift your hands. Let your voice out as you're seated. Let your voice out. The devil has been very smart to neutralize the power of the saints of God. 
He knows he cannot directly stop us. He cannot do a direct confrontation against the church. We're too powerful. We're too powerful. Satan is not powerful enough to stop the church. I had a vision one day. I was praying, preaching at a particular church. This was a powerful church, but they were struggling. It was different when I was preaching there than it had been before. And in prayer, it was like the Lord took me over this planning session of Satan and several other demons. And they had a map out, and they were talking about that particular church, and they were discussing ways to destroy that church. And they said, let's try to divide them. If we divide them, they'll lose their power. And Lucifer said they cannot be divided. They're too unified. They love each other. They will fight that. Another demon said, let's cause them to uh, be filled with sickness and attack their bodies. And he said, if you attack their bodies, they're just going to pray more because they believe in the miracle power of God. And another spirit spoke, and he said, I, I know what to do. He said, we can't confront them directly. We can't divide them. We can't slow them down in their bodies. Let's entertain them to death. Let's give them every opportunity they want to entertain themselves. And perhaps they will pray less. Let's promote movies and TV and TV shows and Facebook and all this nonsense that wastes the time of people. Let's get them addicted to that. That way they will substitute the time they used to spend in prayer for time doing meaningless things that will steal their fire it will steal their passion when they come to church they'll feel numb because they spent more time on Facebook than they did in the prayer room when they come to church they'll be disconnected because they spent more time in front of the stupid TV than they did in front of the word of God let's do that let's entertain them to death I want to tell you something somebody has got to have enough hunger for favor from God that says I'm going to push aside the plate I'm going to push aside all entertainment I'm going to find him if he can be found I'm going to find him I'm going to seek him until he is found Jesus said in the day that you seek me with your whole heart that's the day I'll be found of you I know I'm on it because only about 20% of you are pushing with me right now Let me tell you what God wants to do in this church. This building ain't big enough. You ain't hearing me at all. These walls are going to have to come down. There's going to have to be a new building. There's going to have to be a new phase. The growth that you are experiencing is too powerful. The revival that you are in is not going to cease. And Satan is trying to figure out how to stop you. He's attacked some of your bodies. But you're still praying. Some of you are praying through pain. You're praising through pain. 
You're worshiping through pain. You're walking through pain. That hasn't stopped you. He's tried to divide. Send spirits of division into the home. Into this church. But you're going to overcome that too. You love each other too much. You're unified. So Satan is giving you the opportunity to substitute time that would have been spent in prayer for meaningless things in life. And the next level is calling. The mountaintop is calling. Jesus is speaking to some of you in particular, saying, will you come up to the mountaintop with me? Well, Jesus, I'm going to have to leave my routine aside if I do that. Would you come up to the mountaintop with me? You're going to sweat a little bit. It's hot. You might scuff your knee. Well, there's not going to be a crowd around you when you come. But if you come to the top with me, you're going to see a version of me that not many people get to see. Lift your hands to the Lord. I just feel something special. If you want favor, if you want favor, would you find a place to pray for a few minutes? Just find a place. Uh, it's not going to be the grace prayer. It's going to be the favor prayer. Uh, if anybody wants favor, I'm asking you now. There's a spirit of prayer that will come upon you. There is a tenacity in the Holy Ghost. There is a boldness. Uh, there is a power that's going to be released upon you now that's going to drive you into the next level. I'm asking you to pray effectually and fervently in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, don't worry about what you sound like. Don't worry about what you look like as you pray. It's time to step out of the boat I didn't even get to half of this message it's time to get out of that comfort zone it's time to get out of that place of security and begin to walk in the spirit is there anybody so hungry for favor you'll cry out for it you'll scream out for it is there anybody so hungry for favor you won't stop until you get it you won't reach you won't stop reaching until it's in your hands is there anybody so thirsty that you won't stop until your thirst is quenched in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Let your voice out. Let your voice out. Let your voice out. Let that desire escape. I want you to use me, Lord. I want that old 
apostolic anointing. I want that anointing that John had to lean on your bosom, to know you personally, intimately. I want that anointing that Paul had to walk with you. I want that anointing for apostolic revival. I want that anointing. Some of you are feeling an urge to let your voice out, but you're afraid of what you sound like. You're afraid of what you're going to look like. I release you in the name of Jesus Christ right now. Let that desire go. Let that passion go. You're going to help everybody around you. Let your voice out. Let your voice out. Let your voice out. It is impossible to fully release yourself without lifting your voice. It's just impossible. I wonder if there's anybody hungry enough to put some air behind that prayer and let your voice out. If you're hungry, you ought to tell the Lord, I want him, God. I want another level. I want a deeper walk with the Lord. Stop basing your prayer on how you feel. Stop brace, basing your prayer on how you feel. You can pray in a way until he'll feel your prayer. You can pray with a passion until he cannot escape you. He cannot walk away from you anymore. He cannot run from you anymore. You can pray in a way that you will arrest him. You will capture him. He's got nowhere else to go but right in front of you. hands on each other. That's it. Be led of the Holy Ghost right now. The gifts of the Spirit are in operation right now. You can minister in the Holy Ghost if you want to. You can be led of the Spirit of God. For those of you that want to operate in apostolic ministry, find somebody to get your hands on and minister to them in the name of Jesus Christ.